So, uh, so this week we're starting a series. Uh, it's called Upside Down. It's on the, some of the parables of Jesus. And uh, talk a little bit about the nature of parables. Now, y'all know in a couple of weeks there's like a big football game coming up, right? Isn't there something happening? What is that? You know, and, 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 yeah, and maybe it's, you know, sometimes we're, we're interested in the game. Sometimes we just watch it for the spectacle. Uh, in my household, uh, my wife likes to watch it for the ads. And some of you do too, so, right? And, and in 2014, one of the ads that was done, it's a Budweiser ad. We took the logos out, but you'll recognize some of you. Uh, one of the ads was called Puppy Love, was the name of the ad. And, uh, and, and it starts off featuring this, this puppy who goes into the barn where the Clydesdales are, and he sees these magnificent Clydesdale horses, and immediately he falls in love with one of them. And so the whole story is about this puppy who, who just wants to be with the horses. And, and, you know, his owner keeps going over and getting him and dragging him back home. And the puppy gets out and, you know, he digs under the fence and gets in and he climbs through things and all. And, and so this is the story of the ad. And, and towards the end of the ad, as the, as the owner has come over one more time to get the dog and he's driving away with the dog, you know, at the window in the car, you know, one of the Clydesdales jumps over the fence behind and starts coming after it. And the other, the other horses get in front of the car and they stop the car and at the end the puppy is united with the horses okay oh let's do it one two three oh yeah it's it's i mean you know it's a really sweet ad you know it's got puppies and horses what can go wrong right i mean uh, but one of the things about this ad that's so powerful is it tells the story it has a little story that it tells in it and uh, and this is actually this in 2014 when this ad aired uh, it, it was voted and still is voted the most popular Super Bowl ad ever uh, because it tells the story. Stories are really uh, important to us. They're critical to us. Uh, they define who we are. Uh, if I come to you and I say, uh, uh, who are you? A lot of you would tell me, okay, well, I'm a teacher or I'm a this or I'm a that, whatever. I mean, and, and I'd say, well, that, that's great. That's what you do. But who are you? And then you would tell me your story, right? Well, this is, this is where I was born, and this is who my parents were, and this is where I grew up and what we did and where I went to school. You would tell me the story of your life because that's how we define ourselves. In the same way, in Scripture, uh, parables are, are little short stories that are used to define the world and to define who we are. Now, uh, a fable is usually a longer story that's purely imaginary, and an allegory is a longer story. Parables are very short um, they may be historically true or not, but they're very short stories that are told to give us a definition about who we are and who our world is. In Matthew's Gospel, which we're going to be reading out of this morning, uh, we're told that Jesus told the crowd all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. I mean, it's this chance for Jesus to tell us a story that opens our minds to a truth that perhaps we are sometimes unaware of or not willing to see. Uh, N.T. Wright talks about parables in this way. He says, they're not simply nice, friendly illustrations designed to help people get their minds around deep, abstract truth. The truth they speak of isn't abstract at all. It's what God is doing personally, bodily, in Jesus and his work, and what God will do through his death and resurrection, and it doesn't look like what most people were expecting. Uh, so there, there are ways for Jesus to, to speak the truth into these, uh, into these crowds, uh, to get 
beyond the blinders we put on ourselves and, and to tell us those truths in a way that we're, we could remember, that we could hold on to, uh, and that would become part of who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the stories that you give us, the story of salvation, the, the story of Christ, the, the story of these parables, and we ask that you open the ears of our minds and hearts to hear them. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning in, in particular, uh, we're looking at Matthew, uh, the 13th chapter of Matthew, which is sometimes called the kingdom chapter which is a, a collection of Jesus' teachings and parables about the kingdom of God. The first one's a very familiar one for most of us. Uh, Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So, you know, if you've never really seen one, a mustard seed really is tiny, uh, it's a very tiny thing, and um, in ancient Israel, uh, it actually was limited in where you could put it and plant it, because uh, mustard plants are very invasive. Once it, once it grows and it begins to shed seed, uh, not only does it become a great tree, a, a large tree, but all those seeds sprout too, and it begins to spread. And so uh, they had rules and regulations about where you could plant it so that your mustard plants would not take over your neighbor's land. Uh, so there were limits. So there was kind of a negative aspect to, to the mustard plant in, the, in that sense. But what Jesus was saying is, you know, your faith, the kingdom, your faith can be this is this one tiny act and it plants, but then, it, but then God grows it and it begins to grow and, and spread and, and, and move across the world. And, and all you were responsible for is that, that first little piece. Now, now, when Israel, when the people of Israel heard the word kingdom... A lot of times in their mind, they immediately went to David and Solomon, the great monarchies of Israel. And they imagined these huge, you know, the, the temple and these great kingdoms and armies and all this kind of thing. And so what Jesus is trying to say is don't, don't go to there. Don't go to the magnificent, the amazing, the huge. Uh, start, start with the little and understand that, that God is, is going to plant these seeds you don't have to do the amazing stuff. You don't have to do the huge stuff. You don't have to do the magnificent all you have to do is the little bit that God places in front of you, and God will grow the rest. It isn't your job to create the magnificent. That's God's kingdom. It's just your job to deal with the little bit that God's given you, to plant the seed that God has given you. Uh, St. Francis uh, has this wonderful saying that I love, and he says, don't worry about praying as you can't, simply pray as you can. And in some ways, that's, that's what Jesus' teaching you here is. So it's, don't, don't try to to create the magnificent kingdom, just do the little bit of faithfulness that God calls you to in your own life and let God take care of the rest of that. The second illustration is, is kind of similar in a lot of ways. Uh, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. You know, y'all, if you bake, you know, when you mix yeast and the bread begins to rise, you know that wonderful aroma that it, it gives off. I mean, it's just, you know, the difference between like, you know, baking a cracker and, and a loaf of bread, I mean, the, the aroma is just in the night and day. And when I worked for HEB, our, our truck shop was right next door to the bakery. 
And about three or four in the morning, they would be baking bread over there. You know, and if you've been around a bakery when they were doing that, the, uh, it just smells so wonderful that, that you know, the, the bread as it rises and they begin to bake. Uh, and we'd be smelling that kind of drooling on ourselves a little bit out there. And, and, you know, every once in a while in the middle of the night, you know, doggone it, somebody would drop a loaf of bread. And, and, and one of the bakers would show up at that shop and say, well, guys, you know, we dropped this loaf and so we can't sell it, you know, so we, we thought we'd bring it over and see if y'all would love it. Uh, would we? I mean, this fresh, warm loaf of bread, slice that and put some butter on it. Oh, yeah. Man, that's, that's, that's living right there, right? Man, that, the smell of it, the aroma of it. I mean, it says, you know, listen, you know, the, the kingdom's like this. God's love comes in and, and the aroma of it is just, it just is wonderful. And, and it begins to have this amazing impact. It takes what would be just a cracker and it turns it into this wonderful bread, this, this wonderful aroma that spreads. But his hearers also would have heard one other thing that you and I might miss. Because they would know that that three measures of flour is an allusion to another story. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you've said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. All of Jesus' listeners would have known this story, that she took the three measures of flour and she prepared it, and that that hospitality was the precursor to the birth of her son and, and the beginning of the people Israel. So when Jesus talked about leavening the three measures of flour, they would have understood that he was saying, you know, that, that three measures of flour, that, that, that's the beginning of the people of Israel, and now this leaven, the, the aroma of God's love, is going to infuse all of Israel. And all you have to do is your part. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to create everything. But, but, but if you'll just share the love that God has given you, God will spread that through the people of Israel. And, and not only that, but he will make a great people out of that, just like he did Israel. It's just begin where you're at. Start with what you have. And let God do the rest of it. Um, tomorrow we're going to be celebrating the life of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and as we go into that, and I was thinking about that, uh, I remember that, that he and Mother Teresa, who were two towering figures of the, the last century, um, have very similar sayings uh, attributed to each of them. Uh, Martin Luther one time, uh, King said, um, 
I can do no great things. I can only do small things with greatness. And Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things. We can only do small things with great love. To the best of my knowledge, they never compared notes or had any kind of, you know, there was no exchange between them, but they both had a very similar kind of comment that they made. And if you read through their journals and their writings, you'll hear both of them talking about living into what God places in front of you with faithfulness. Whatever that is, live into that and trust God for the rest. You know, don't, don't worry about trying to, to you know, think about how all of that's going to play out in time, but, but just be faithful with God, what God places in front of you. Live into that with faithfulness and love and trust that God will do the rest. On the last night when King was in Memphis and he's speaking to the crowd, he talks about his journey of faith and, and choosing to be there in that moment. And as he's speaking, if you listen to him, and you can find the, the recordings and things are widely available, you can hear some of the weariness in his voice because obviously it has become a much greater task than I think he ever imagined. But you can also hear the conviction as he speaks. And toward the end of that address, he makes an allusion uh, to Moses. Remember, uh, Moses, when, the, when he's bringing the, the, the people out of, the, uh, out of slavery in Egypt and across the desert, uh, he comes and he gets on the mountain and he looks across the river Jordan to the promised land, but he knows that he won't get to cross into the promised land. And, and, and Reverend King makes a, an allusion to that. He says, I've, I've been on the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've looked into the promised land. He says, I may not get there with you. And... and almost as if he has a premonition of what's going to happen. He said, but I've seen it. And so I have no fear, and I'm at peace, and I'm happy. And every time I do that, I, I remember, or I hear him say that, I remember Simeon in the temple holding Jesus at the ceremony of the dedication and, and looking at him saying, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace because I've seen the salvation of your people Israel. Even though it hasn't happened, he recognizes the reality of it. And King, in a very similar way, is, is seeing in his mind what is going to happen and what God is going to do, even though he has not seen it completed. And so he speaks with that faith and that conviction. You know, we do what we do we, with faithfulness and with love, and we entrust that God will take that then and grow the kingdom out of it and to live in that place of, of strength and that place of confidence and that place of peace and that place of courage because we trust that, that if we just do the little bit that's been entrusted to us God will grow the rest of the kingdom so Jesus goes on in teaching and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Uh, now, now, when you read the, the commentaries on this, uh, especially among the ancient writers, uh, that first part where, where they find the treasure uh, and then they hide it is considered to be a reference to humility. Be humble. The kingdom of God is not for you to brag about. Because you're not growing the kingdom, you're just doing your little part. So it's not okay. I mean, it's not your place to say, woohoo, look at what I've done. Uh, it, it's about having humility because it's something you get to be part of. It's a treasure you get to be part of. 
But both of these also talk about the value of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom. Uh, pearls in, in Jesus' day, remember, um, pearls were, were one of the oldest forms of jewelry. Uh, before uh, people were cutting and polishing stones and all that, they were finding pearls and appreciating them and treasuring them. Uh, and so this, the story about the pearl of great price that the merchant finds and realizes this is worth more than everything else I have. And so he sells everything else he has to buy that. Uh, that's what the kingdom is like. It's, it's priceless. It's beyond anything else we can hold on to. Gregory the Great would write on this. And he would say, compared with that pearl, everything else fades in value. He forsakes those things that he's gathered. His heart yearns for heavenly things, and nothing on earth pleases him. For love makes insensitive to extraneous earthly desires the person whom it has swept off his feet. Isn't that wonderful? Love makes insensitive to extraneous earthly desires the person whom it has swept off his feet. You ever been swept off your feet by love? You ever had that experience? And suddenly everything else is worth less. You know, uh, I can remember sitting in the, in the auditorium in Southwestern University the first time I heard Cindy sing and listening to her sing. And, uh, and she got up to sing and my heart just kind of did this backflip. You know, and, and, and suddenly, you know, this really sounds bad, but suddenly all the other women I've been seeing disappeared. <laughs> and it really was only about her. And still is. Just about her. But, but, but Jesus says, you know, the kingdom is even more than that. Because you know, when the kingdom of God breaks in, when the love of God breaks in, everything else becomes second place. Everything else becomes second place. Because God's love just sweeps you off your feet. I mean, Jesus brings these stories to us to remind us that it's not our job to create the kingdom. Uh, and, and it's not about... The magnificent things we can do, uh, it's, it's about the love that we can do in very simple kinds of ways. And that God then takes that and grows it. Uh, South Bluff Church, when we went there in, in uh, the, the early 80s, uh, one of my older gentlemen came to me and said, Tom, I want to start a young adult Sunday school class. And I said, uh, good luck, because right then Cindy and I were the only young adults in the church. Uh, and I'm going, good luck, Jake. And, uh, and Jake was in his 70s. Uh, but, but Jake... Jake began to work on it. Jake went and knocked on doors and talked to people and visited with people and took people to lunch and had people to his house for dinner. And, and he began to build relationships with some of these young folks in the neighborhood. And, and then they started coming to his Sunday school class. And then when they had kids, he would go to the hospital to see them. And sometimes he would babysit for them. And, and he just built relationships with them one at a time. And, and at the end of three years, he had 30 people come into his class every week to hear his wisdom, but also because of the, the love that he had shared with him. He just began with the simple things, just honestly loving them, honestly sharing Christ with them, and God built the rest. See, my friends, we're, we're not called <laughs> to build the great kingdom. We're called just to be faithful and the little bit that's given to us to share God's love with those who are in front of us. And to trust that if we do that, God will build the kingdom. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the story of salvation. We thank you for the story of Jesus the Christ. We thank you for these parables that remind us that you have not asked us to build the kingdom for you, but simply to do the little bit that you said in front of us. And so we ask that you, you open our eyes and our hearts, that we might plant the seeds you give us, that we might mix in the leaven of your love to the flower that you place in our hands, that we might treasure above and beyond all the richness of the love of the kingdom that you give us. So we ask you to help us to love and to be faithful in what is in front of us and to grow the kingdom beyond our wildest imaginations. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.